Welcome to This Week in Linux, the weekly news show from the Tux Digital Network that keeps you up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source worlds. I'm Michael Tunnell, and this is your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linode and by Bitwarden. The LXQt team have released the latest version of this desktop environment with LXQt 1.3. For those unfamiliar, LXQt is a lightweight Qt-based desktop environment, or Qt for those who know it as Qt. That is most known for trying to be a balance of as much features as possible while also staying as minimal and lightweight as possible. LXQt 1.3 brings a variety of improvements such as smooth scrolling to all view modes for LXQt's file manager and library. Q-Terminal has seen fixes including better Wayland support. There's improved window management, uh, detection, and system tray handling for the LXQt session. There's been translation updates and various other enhancements. The 1.3 release is based on Qt 5.15 LTS, but there is also work in progress reporting to the Qt 6 toolkit. If you'd like to learn more about LXQt 1.3 or the LXQt desktop environment in general, you'll find links in the show notes. This week, we saw some interesting news shared for the roadmap of what will be KDE Connect 2.0. I'm a big fan of the work that KDE does, and especially of the KDE Connect project. KDE Connect is a great piece of software that allows you to integrate your Linux desktop with your mobile device. Now, KDE Connect works basically on every Linux desktop environment. I know it seems like it's just made for KDE, or, well, KDE is not really the desktop environment. KDE Plasma Desktop is a desktop environment. And KDE Plasma is not really specifically the desktop either because there's Plasma Mobile and et cetera. You know, there's a lot of different things. But what it does is that it integrates it with your Linux desktop environment with a mobile operating system like Android or Plasma Mobile or Selfish OS or even Apple's iOS. KDE Connect has a lot of great features to do this integration, uh, such as easily sharing files and data between devices, syncing your clipboard between devices, receiving phone notifications on your desktop, and a lot of other cross-device functionality. The KDE Connect lead, Albert Vaca, shared on his blog that he was chosen to receive funding to work full-time on KD Connect this year, which is awesome, and this is thanks to a grant from the NLNet Foundation as a part of the NGI Assure Fund. The focus will be on updating the KD Connect protocol and mobile apps to modern standards. KD Connect 2.0 will focus on having greater reliability, security, and accessibility. Some of the specific things that are being planned are adding support for multicast DNS or MDNS backend, a full security audit of the code later this year, and reviewing the accessibility of their software, and much, much more. This is great news for a variety of reasons. I mean, I'm excited to see what KD Connect can do in this 2.0 era of the software, and also with this kind of funding, because it's already an awesome piece of software, and to see what a full-time development focus could be, but also to have full-time work being developed and have that kind of funding, very cool. So NLNet Foundation, thank you for doing this. And if you'd like to learn more about the NLNet Foundation, KDE, or KDE Connect itself, you'll find links in the show notes. Recently, SUSE announced that they are appointing a new CEO to lead the company, starting in May of this year, as the current CEO, Melissa DiDonato, has decided to step down. DiDonato led SUSE during its transformation into one of the world's leading enterprise software companies. SUSE listed on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange in 2021, 
Sousa also acquired Rancher and New Vector, which positioned Sousa strongly in the container management and security markets. All of this during DiDonato's tenure as CEO. So these are pretty big shoes to fill for the person who steps in as the next CEO. The supervisory board of Sousa SA has chosen to appoint industry veteran Dirk Peter Van Leeuwen as a new CEO. Dirk Peter Van Leeuwen has spent nearly two decades at Red Hat, a global leader in open source solutions. Since he joined Red Hat in 2004, he has held various senior management positions overseeing sales, marketing, and operations, most recently as Senior Vice President and General Manager of North America for Red Hat. Now, Sousa has a ton of potential in so many ways, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Sousa moving forward with a new CEO. And if you'd like to learn more about this news or Sousa in general, then you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Linode. Visit linode.com slash tux. That's linode.com slash T-U-X. And see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. Linode provides solutions and services to accelerate innovation. Whether you want to build everything yourself or use one of their applications from the app marketplace with a one-click install, you get access to all sorts of stuff, including the easy access to deploy everything from Plesk and WordPress to Valheim and Minecraft servers. Linode even has VPN-friendly virtual servers, so you can create secure connections over the internet, protecting you on public Wi-Fi, which is very important if you're using public Wi-Fi you should be using a VPN of some sort. And if you want to have extreme control over that, you can create your own on Linode. And if that wasn't enough, every plan comes with Linode's amazing human-powered customer support. You might be wondering, what does that mean, human-powered? Well, what it means is if you need help, someone will pick up the phone, respond to your email, or reply to you on social media 24-7, 365. That's right. Instead of getting a canned response from a bot, you're actually going to get responses from a human. I know it's crazy, right? But that's what you get with Linode. So visit linode.com slash tux to create a free account. Plus, when you use that URL, you will let them know that we sent you, which is, of course, good for us, but also good for you because you're going to get a $100 60-day free credit when you sign up by going to linode.com slash tux. That's linode.com slash T-U-X. Pine64 have launched two new tablets, the Pine Tab 2 and the Pine Tab V. Or maybe it's pronounced PineTab 5. I'm not totally sure, but it is based on the RISC-V architecture. Oddly enough, the PineTab V-5 was announced on April 1st in a blog post accompanied by rainbows and unicorns. So some of you might have thought that this was an April Fool's joke. And so did I. <laughs> and this is precisely why I didn't talk about these devices on the show, because I thought it wasn't legitimate. A quick side note companies should really consider not announcing legitimate stuff on April 1st. This kind of thing happens way too often. Or at least be very, very clear that it's not a joke by not using rainbows and unicorns. The PineTab 2 and the PineTab V-5 are very similar, including the price starting at $159 for the base model and $209 for the more powerful model. Now, the only differences seem to be the colored cases have the black version for the RISC-V and the gray version for the PineTab 2. And of course, you know, the different hardware that powers the whole thing. So there's the RISC-V hardware in the PineTab V-5 and the ARM hardware in the PineTab 2. Both of these tablets have two configuration options. The $159 model comes with 4 gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of of eMMC storage. 
whereas the $209 model comes with 8 gigs of RAM and 128 gigs of eMMC storage. The Pine Tab 2 uses a Rockchip RK3555 CPU, which is a 4-core ARM Cortex-A55, and it has the ARM Mali G610 MP4 graphics on board. The Pine 5 slash V has a 4-core Sci-5 U7464-bit RISC-V CPU and Imagination BXE232 graphics. It just rolls right off the tongue. Both of these tablets come with a 10.1 IPS touch display, two USB-C ports, a micro HDMI port, a 3.5 millimeter audio jack, and a micro SD card slot, as well as front and back cameras. Pine64 says that the Pine Tab 2 is the most refined Linux-capable hardware that they have to offer, and it is a clear step up from the original. The Pine Tab 2 ships with Dant Nix Arch Linux distro installed, though this pre-installed OS is still in beta, so most core functionality works, but some features remain as a work in progress. Now, Pine64 says that the Pine Tab 2 is ARM-based, ships with working software, has solid Linux support that will only get better with time, and has an already established community of developers. So if you are interested in something like this, you will find links to pre-order in the show notes. But it's slightly different message for the Pine Tab slash V or 5. Pine64 says, if you're in the market for an open, high quality, and sexy looking tablet, that doesn't work. Since the software for it is a, way, is a ways off from pre-alpha, then you'll be thrilled to know that we've got you covered. This is a fantastic way of pitching your product. Now, this is one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Pine64, because they are always upfront and transparent about things that they announce. And when you go to the order page, there is a bold warning making it clear who these products are for. If either of these tablets sound like something you're interested in, then you'll find links in the show notes. Flatpaks are great. It's a great universal format for Linux, and it's become more and more important to the ecosystem over the past few years, which is great to see, of course, but one of the main reasons for this happening is the universal repo for getting Flatpaks called the FlatHub. Recently, the FlatHub has been working behind the scenes in an attempt to revamp the whole website, including adding a dark mode, which I appreciate. Well, it's not really behind the scenes, actually, all that much, because you can just simply go to the beta section of the website and see the progress of what they've been working on, which is beta.flathub.org. Now, on a previous episode of Twill, we talked about how they are adding verified badges to some Flatpaks to show when a Flatpak is built and maintained by the official project behind the software which is a fantastic idea, and I also hope that comes very soon. But now the FlatHub is going through a big revamp of the look and feel of the site as well, including getting a brand new logo for the FlatHub. Another great thing about the upcoming version of the FlatHub is that it offers a lot more data to the user about the individual Flatpaks itself when you go to the download page. So you can see stuff as like the download size or installation size of the application, how many installs an app has, and much, much more. And recently, there have also been discussions for long-term goals of the FlatHub to make it a full-blown store, offering developers the option to sell their apps on the FlatHub as a marketplace. I think this would be a wonderful thing to see because that will make the Flatpak or format itself much more appealing for developers to use and publish their software on Linux. And it also makes the FlatHub more appealing as well for them. 
So I hope to see this happen for the Flat Hub sooner rather than later. Now there's not been an announcement exactly when the new Flat Hub beta will become the main version, but be sure to subscribe to this show and I'll keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world and this topic, of course. In the meantime, you'll find links in the show notes to check out the beta version. Digicam 8.0 was released this week and there are some fairly big improvements to this open source and cross-platform professional photo management software. The most notable change in this release and possibly the biggest difference for 8.0 is the porting to the Qt 6 application framework. Though Digicam 8.0 is still compatible with the Qt 5 API as well. There have been many improvements made to various image formats, including the image formats JPEG, XL, WebP, and AVIF can now be used everywhere in Digicam to export your data using lossy compression or lossless. For example, when you import new items from, from a camera, a post-process conversion from JPEG to a safety lossless container can be done in the background. Digicam 8.0 also adds support for float 16 or half float images in the TIFF loader and added a new tool to perform OCR overscanned text, which is based on the very powerful Tesseract engine. Now, one more thing I wanted to mention for this release is the brand new online documentation site that they launched as it contains an extensive amount of information on how to use Digicam and with a powerful application like this, documentation is very important. So I was really happy to see this happen. Now Digicam has had good documentation for a very long time, but this new website makes the experience of finding that information much better and just more organized and all that sort of stuff. So really nice to see that. If you'd like to learn more about Digicam 8.0, then you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. That's bitwarden.com slash T-U-X. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It's a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, even automatically generate usernames, so you can skip all of that. You don't even have to worry about any of that either. And it also allows you to automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff, which is wonderful because I have a ton of complicated passwords and I don't have to remember them. That's why I use Bitwarden. Well, not, that's not the only reason. There's tons of reasons. For example, you have access to all your data across many different types of devices, such as your web browser, mobile applications, desktop applications, or even on the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption as well before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com tux to get started. Did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account because for less than a dollar per month, that's right, less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. For all of this for less than a dollar per month, that's only $10 per year to get the premium options of Bitwarden. And for personally for me, I just want to, I'd pay the premium just because I appreciate them making such awesome piece of software. So even if I don't use some of the premium features, I'm still going to pay for it because that's how awesome it is. Now make the smart move like many community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux. That's bitwarden.com slash T-U-X to get started. The game development community has been waiting for Godot 4.0 for many years now. And finally, 
the wait is over. Godot 4.0 has been released after four years of development, 12,000 merged pull requests, 7,000 fixed issues from 1,500 individual contributors. Now, for those who are unfamiliar, the Godot engine is a free, open source, all-in-one, cross-platform game engine that makes it easy for developers to create 2D and 3D games. The Godot team says that it's the biggest release to date and the longest in the making. Godot 4.0 is more of a great rebuild than a regular update, they say. They also go on to say that no stone has been left unturned. All parts of the engine have been modernized, refactored, overhauled, rewritten, and redesigned. End quote. And the amounts of new features and improvements are vast, and even the Godot team described it as mind-boggling. And this may be an understatement. They have... I mean, overhauled the 3D and general rendering, made many 2D improvements, as well as enhancements to shaders and effects, scripting, physics, UI and text improvements, internationalization, uh, editor and UX improvements, navigation improvements, networking and multiplayer enhancements, audio, animation, and platform support improvements, and so much more. The blog post for this release is so long that there is a table of contents just for the new features and improvements. So if you want to learn more about this open source game engine, or more specifically, the Godot 4.0 release, you'll find links in the show notes. 4M Linux have released the ultimate release with 4M Linux 42.0. Now to be clear, I'm not saying this is the last release. It's a pop culture reference, but anyway... For those unfamiliar with 4M Linux, 4M Linux is a small, independent, general-purpose Linux distribution with a strong focus on following the four M's of computing. This is a quote from them, by the way. Now, it says the four M's of computing are maintenance, multimedia, mini-server, and apparently mystery. Your guess is as good as mine on that last one. The maintenance refers to the ability to use it as a system rescue live CD. Multimedia is fairly straightforward. Mini-server is things that you can use with DNS, FTP, MySQL, NFS, SMTP, and others for a simple server system. And mystery, which apparently seems to mean gaming somehow? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, 4M Linux features JWM, or Joe's Window Manager, and uses long-term supported Linux 6.1 kernel. If you are looking for a minimal independent Linux distro to check out, then 4M Linux might be worth a look. You'll find links in the show notes. Have you ever thought to yourself, minimalist Linux distros are so bloated? Well, then do I have a treat for you? Let's talk about Tiny Core Linux because they released version 14.0 just a few days ago. And well, it's a really cool distro. It's most certainly not for everyone, but this incredibly small Linux distro might be of interest to some of you out there. So I wanted to feature it here on the show for those amongst you who feel that minimal is not small enough. For those unfamiliar with Tiny Core Linux, Tiny Core Linux is a minuscule Linux distribution which runs from memory. The Tiny Core Linux project has released version 14.0, which is available in three editions. Core for a command line only experience, Tiny Core, which provides a minimal graphical environment, and Core Plus, which provides a wider range of desktop software. Tiny Core is so minimal that I don't think calling it minimal really does it justice, which is why I've decided to arbitrarily give it a different category of minuscule. And like I said, Tiny Core runs entirely in memory, 
which makes it boot very quickly, and it does this by being bare bones, offering an experience powered by the Linux kernel, BusyBox, TinyX, FLTK, and FLWM. This results in TinyCore Linux only needing as little as 15 megabytes to 25 megabytes of RAM. Yes, you heard correctly. In the frequently asked questions for system requirements, TinyCore can boot with as little as 46 megabytes of RAM, and the recommended minimum says a Pentium 2 or better with 128 megabytes of RAM and some swap. So as you can imagine, this is, this is a really, really tiny distribution, which makes sense for its name. TinyCore Linux is certainly accurate to its name, and I think it's worthy of the new minuscule category. Of course, this means this distro is not for everyone, and arguably not for most, but in some situations, with a user with enough experience, TinyCore could be quite useful. If you'd like to learn more about TinyCore Linux, you'll find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. And if you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com contribute, where you can get a bunch of cool perks, like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and much, much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux as if it were a t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and many, many more at tuxdigital.com store. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Tux Digital Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.